Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story, on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story, and as always, over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. If you've been listening to the show and have found value in it, uh, leave a review on Apple Podcast. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. Speaking of five-star reviews, this week I would like to give a special shout-out to Layla uh, Rees, Rees? Sorry, Layla, if I just butchered your name. Uh, But they write, so helpful, five stars. I'm days away from my Peace Corps interview, trying to do my research to figure out if Peace Corps is right for me. This podcast has been so helpful through the process. Thank you for doing this. Well, Layla, you are very, very welcome. Uh, Good luck on that interview. Uh, If you haven't had it, uh, or if you had it, I'm sure you knocked it out of the park. Uh, But that's why I'm doing this podcast uh, for for people like you who may be interested in the Peace Corps and want to know a little bit more about it and hear uh, stories from from volunteers, uh, straight from volunteers and what they experienced and highlighting what was important to them about their service and what they struggled with. So thank you for the review. Thank you for listening and good luck as you progress towards becoming a future Peace Corps volunteer. On this episode, I talk with Adam Lawrence, who served in the Republic of Moldova from 2014 to 2016, and uh, then stuck around to create a business there, uh, working with some awesome uh, coders and web developers. We talk about all sorts of stuff, and I almost wish that the interview didn't end because uh, we did this interview in person, Adam was hanging out at my apartment, and the stories just kept coming after I hit the stop button. Uh, Some insanely uh, hilarious, crazy, off-the-wall stories that I wish I had captured. Uh, So we allude, or we talk about a, a... a possible part two, but it wasn't even about all these stories that happened afterwards. So I may need to have uh, Adam back on the show to be the first ever repeat guest. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, so let me let me know if you guys uh, want to have him back on the show. Uh, but I look forward to, uh, to to staying connected with him regardless. Without further ado, I'm going to stop blabbing. This is the My Peace Corps Story Podcast. This is this is this is this is my My Peace Corps Peace Corps. My Peace Corps My Peace Corps Story Story Story. Adam Lawrence and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey Adam, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? Doing well. Uh excited because this is my my second interview that I've done in a row now in person and I I love them so much more. Uh just because of the back and forth. I mean we I think we've been talking for 30 minutes maybe uh yeah. before before hitting <laughs> hitting record and doing doing a deep dive and all sorts of stuff that we're gonna eventually touch on i think a little bit uh, for sure but i i just love the you know that in-person connection and and riffing off one another so i'm excited for the interview to learn a little bit more about you and your peace corps service it sounds great thanks Alan. thanks for having me yeah well start off by letting everybody know where you served in the peace corps and what you were doing So I served in the Republic of Moldova um, in Eastern Europe. It's wedged between Ukraine and Romania. Um, It was for former Soviet Union. And I was there from 2014 to 2016. And I served in the small business development program as a small business development advisor. Okay. And in, in my service, I was kind of small business development, but I have a feeling that the small businesses that I was working with may have been very, very different. I was working with local women, like in the market, making shea butter, uh, mm. roasted peanuts, things of that nature. When you say small business, what kind of businesses were you working with? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's actually not too much different um, mm. from from a standpoint of what our focus was. It, I worked with a local honey producer, 
to help them not necessarily sell it in the local market, but help them with their online presence and sell online within Moldova and, and hopefully export to Europe as well. So that was a side project. My actually main uh, focus was actually working with a regional government. Uh, we They have districts in Moldova that are very similar to states. Moldova is about the size of Maryland, so it's not a very big country. So the district I was working with was in the north part of Moldova called Trokia. And I worked with them on the development of business support for small businesses Mm -hmm. in that region. And frankly, to be very honest with you, my job there was more of a figurehead position. (laughs) And I was kind of seen, they wanted to bring in foreign investment. So I was like, oh, that we have an American, we're legit, right? Mm -hmm. And... Not to say that there wasn't great progress made. We helped them build a website. We got more transparency. We got information on on the line of how to invest and do things in that region. There was business supports and access for people who needed it. That was really my role there. Um, But my my passion and where I, I did a lot of my side projects, which was very much encouraged in my time in Peace Corps, was I spent about 20 hours a week at the regional government and then 20 hours a week working with other businesses that ranged from doing wool because there's a lot of sheep there, you know, helping them with just basic operations mm-hmm. all the way up to microfinance organizations that are partnered with Kiva. So I helped a microfinance organization uh, develop their partnership with Kiva and help them increase their amount of loans they can give out, which is specifically targeting agriculture. So the growing of apples in different high value uh, fruits. Mm-hmm. So not too much different. I think it's just a little maybe more focused on export and selling rather yeah. than the local market. And one thing you said that uh, struck me was that you said 20 hours, one organization, 20 hours, another organization. That's a 40 hour work week. It sounds like your service was more structured than a lot of Peace Corps services. Was that inherent to the country, the program, or you as an individual wanting to to fill, you know, sort of. <laughs> construct a 40-hour work week normalcy that was definitely on my part um in moldova uh there is no such thing as a schedule in reality (laughs) i i don't think it's as i think there is more in terms of the culture there is more structure Mm -hmm. than i would say in some peace corps countries but in terms of meetings i would have people call me and be like hey um i would love to chat with you about this for this idea do you have time tomorrow and i'm like great tomorrow 10 a.m I would show up, no one would be there, right? (laughs) And I quickly learned within like the first six months that no one really is going to really show up unless they show up. So I would just not go to meetings and and then someone would call me and be like, Adam, where are you? We're supposed to meet. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm running a little behind. I'll be there in like five minutes because I lived like five minutes away. So I would just not show up unless they called me because I knew they weren't, if they didn't call me, then they weren't going to be there. Mm -hmm. And then another day they would see me and be like, oh, sorry, we didn't meet up. I had to go to the village to see my family or something like that, right? So my job was I'll just stay focused on what I'm doing. And if I have a meeting, someone will call me and then I can can split. So it's kind of like half fixed in my schedule and then half flexible based on what happens given the day. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what I worked on too was outside of my own site. So like I lived in a town of about 10,000 people, which is fairly large, yeah. but not a lot of development activity happening there. Mm-hmm. So I traveled, like when I worked with the MFI, the microfinance institution, I traveled about an hour by public transport to go there, which is, you know, halfway, you know, almost to the border with Ukraine because I live so close to in the northern part. It's right on the border with Ukraine. So like I have to travel there have a meeting with them in the morning, you know, leave at 8 a.m., meet with them in the morning, get some lunch, and then come back in the afternoon and go into the district, you know, office, government office, and be like, how you doing? And then, like, know that no one missed me. So, like, I'm just, I'm here if you need me, you know. Mm-hmm. So, that's kind of how, like, and then I would go, like, to a city or I'd go to the capital or see these different things and be able to meet with these different organizations there. So, a lot of my work was, like, commuting and then meeting people and then heading back as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that idea of kind of just like not showing up and waiting for them to call you. That is brilliant. Uh, I wish I had thought of the same thing. Usually I would just show up with a book or like take a nap and just wait for someone to like shake me awake and be like, oh, okay, I guess we'll start this training now. You guys showed up two hours later. Uh, So 
uh, hopefully there are people listening <laughs> that can uh, that can adopt that system because I think it is brilliant if it is uh, culturally appropriate f- for your country. Oh yeah, yeah, I highly recommend it, and know that there's a very in Eastern Europe, in Moldova in particular, there's a very dominant phone culture. Mm-hmm. So they'll interrupt meetings to answer a phone or like a public meeting. Their <laughs> phone will go off and they'll answer it with twenty other people and someone speaking. <laughs> right so you know they're going to call you mm-hmm. if something happens right they won't they'll not do it so if you're in a culture and people do that let them call you mm-hmm. and i think you'll be fine as long as you can get there in time yeah very cool now your community of ten thousand people what does that look like i don't know much about Moldova. i think it probably on the map above your head uh is it up there yep it's uh, it's right under ukraine you see Moldova, oh, yeah. it says Kishinev, which is the Russian way to spell Kishinev, which is the capital. Depends on the Romanian or Russian way. Mm-hmm. You have a little bit of a language divide there. Um, yeah, definitely, you know, sandwiched in between the two. Yeah, it's very small compared to the countries around it. Um, they don't actually have access to the Black Sea. They mm-hmm. used to, and then the Ukraine kind of annexed the bottom part after the fall of the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. and they have access only through a port. Um, okay. So they, so Moldova, the, the demographics of Moldova, it's a very unique country. Um, and I, I truly love Moldova. And I, you know, it's always a pleasure to going back there and seeing family and friends and, and things like that. And it's a, it's a forgotten country almost because most people don't know about it. But it has a very diverse and rich history and people there that are just incredibly hardworking. Mm-hmm. And you have the Romanian uh, language speaking people there that usually are descendants of Romania like they mm-hmm. used to be a part of Romania before the Soviet Union and um, there's a lot of heritage there especially in the southern and the western part of Moldova which mm-hmm. is very close to Romania the northern and southern part of Moldova which is kind of funny you have a lot of Russian influence uh, or Ukrainian or you even have a few other Balkan countries that are there the southern part of Moldova is Gaguz, which is a Turkic-speaking language group. And then you have the eastern part of Moldova, <laughs> which is Transnistria, mm-hmm. which is a separatist region, which has a battalion of Russian troops there, and it is separate and closed off. It has its own military, it has its own borders, it has its own money. It's a basically a frozen state, a remnant of the Soviet Union. And I've actually been there. I'm guessing there are Peace Corps volunteers. There are there. no Peace Corps volunteers yeah. there. They're not allowed. <laughs> if the if the embassy wants to make a visit, they have to and they have to notify them in advance uh, mm-hmm. type of situation. Um, but it, it is truly a, an amazing, tiny little piece of kind of, like, of the country that hasn't changed really that much. I mean, yes, they have improved in some ways. They have other things, but like the way you know they do things the the traditional industries the Mm -hmm. government the setup it's it is how it was probably 30 years ago wow so and there's a lot of political tensions and a lot of other things about that Mm -hmm. but that in moldova is this is the reality that people face you have a pro-russia view you have a pro-european view you have the anti-corruption movement you have people who are trying to take more power right so you have a small country that's in the crossroads of Europe and so many things are happening. And unfortunately, a lot of them are not very good. And mm-hmm. this is why a lot of people are choosing to leave Moldova and go to other places. Because if you're Moldovan and you have descendants in, that are from Romania, they actually can get Romanian citizenship. And that means they can get European citizenship, which means mm-hmm. they can move as far as Canada yeah. without a problem. And a lot of them are choosing to do that. So is that what you were seeing? A lot of mass exodus of primarily youth? And was it sort of job and opportunity oriented? Or were they fleeing political hostility? Or did you not see as much political hostility, more just lack of opportunity? Yeah, I think on the everyday, uh, it's definitely lack of opportunity. And Mm -hmm. there's definitely political instability and a lot of people who've, you know, there's things happening, but that's a very small group of people that that's mm-hmm. really focused on. And to give you an example of how prevalent this is, I would, you know, from very often go into high schools um, in, in Moldova. They call them lecheos or lecheo. 
Lacheos is the American pearlization of the word, but mm-hmm. um, I would ask them a question every single time I would go and speak with them. And I would ask them, how many of you want to stay in Moldova? If every single time I've only had a few people raise their hands, I would, and I would ask the same question, just the opposite. How many people, how many people want to leave Moldova? Almost everyone raises their hands every time. And I'd ask them why. And they basically, they didn't say this, but they said it in the way of it. Moldova is basically the worst country and any other place is better than here. Wow. And obviously that's not true, but that's their perception of Moldova. Mm -hmm. And that is a really big issue when you're talking about immigration, because there's so many Moldovans who live, who work abroad. And yeah, you have, I, I don't knock anyone. You know, I don't say that's a bad thing. Like if you see opportunity, you should do what's best for you. But that has left a huge hole in the fabric of the Moldovan society, which is they don't have enough talented people in general to fill the government roles, to fill business roles. There's a huge shortage of skilled labor. Mm-hmm. And that's really hurting their industries and being able to be competitive as well on the global stage uh, when it comes down to it. Now, just for my own curiosity, are there people who are immigrating to Moldova? Are there populations of immigrants? Or are you just, it's a kind of a one-way street? One-way street. You have, Moldova is kind of a paradox in that it's losing a huge amount of population, but it has incredibly restrictive immigration policies. So even for myself, it took me three months to get a foreign investor's visa to stay in the country, even after I started the company and hired people. Mm-hmm. Because they basically, there was a technicality in my paperwork that didn't show that I was the founder, that I was the founder of the founding company, <laughs> right? They didn't want to accept it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, those little pieces, not just the corruption aspect, not just the complicated, I spoke the language, I knew everything, but it still wasn't very clear, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. on that side. They do that twice as fold for people who are coming from the Middle East or coming from Africa or coming from other country where they don't look the same as them. Mm-hmm. They're going to be prohibited, prohibitive in that way because they, they're scared of, they're kind of like there's a we don't want our culture to be lost mentality Mm -hmm. and they're not letting people come in for that reason. So you're losing a lot of people and they're not having very many people come. And if people who do want to come, which is surprising because they know of Moldova and they can go there, Mm -hmm. they're most likely not going to be let in. Wow. That is a, I just learned a lot about a country that I knew very little about. So Moldova is a fascinating place. A lot more to to say on that. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, there's, if you, if, you know, for those that are listening to this, you know, and, and want to know more, there's a lot of great information out there that is written and Moldova's been in the spotlight a lot. Um, I know a lot of, uh, they just went through an election mm-hmm. right now and there's a lot of international organizations writing about that. That's a little bit surface level in terms of the complexity, but it would give the people a really good understanding of what is currently happening right now. Mm-hmm. And you said that they're sort of trying to be protectionist of their of their culture, and you spoke to the the many varied cultures that that do make up Moldova. What was your cultural experience in your community? Uh, like the foods, the dress, the traditions, the music. What what was that side of it for you? Yeah, no, that's great. I I think Moldova is very homogeneous in that most volunteers have a very similar experience, but it's the it's the the family oriented base that changes, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of um, in my community, it was prom- prim- primarily um, you have about forty percent Romanian, thirty percent Russian speaking, twenty percent given give or take ten fifteen of Ukrainian speaking people. So when I talk about languages, it actually very much makes up the fabric of the culture because there was a lot of places I went in my community where they didn't speak Romanian. They spoke mm-hmm. Ukrainian or Russian. And that's in a village or that's in a shop. Doesn't really matter. It's like pockets of it, right? And I spoke Romanian. I was training Romanian, but I, I knew basic Russian because I was supposed to be a Russian speaker, but I got switched to Romanian on my first day um, coming <laughs> to the country. So I was like, I had a good 
understanding and basic level so i could you know i could walk in and say hello but i can't have a full-fledged conversation with you and then i would say something in romanian and they would just like look at me and they'd be like sorry in russian they'd be like you know romansky right and like i don't speak romanian and that's like oh i'm sorry like let me let me try to stumble through my russian and it was great practice it was actually a lot of fun mm-hmm. so my experience is very different than a volunteer who maybe lives closer to the capital where a lot of people might their second language might be english because that's what they're learning. So they, their first language Romanian or first language Russian, but probably they're going to learn English as well. My community, English wasn't very strong. So you know, my host family, first language is Russian, but their Romanian was very good. So they spoke like 70, 25%. They, my host mom would like introduce me to words when I was learning the language. Mm-hmm. And I would have to ask her if it was Romanian or Russian, <laughs> because I was like, I don't know this word. Like, do I not know the language or do, is this Russian? And I asked her and she's like, oh, that's Russian. I'm like, do you know the Romanian word? And she's like, no. So like, she would be like, like, get me something from the fridge. And she would say, get me something, you know, that's me, rogue, like, give me something in Romanian. And then holodernik, which is the Russian word for refrigerator. And then the Romanian word is frigidaire. There's no comparison between two. So it's like a very fun learning curve on that side. And then the food side of things, um, in, in terms of the culture, Moldovans love food. Almost everything centers around the kitchen. Um, and we have a term called masa. And masa means almost everything in one thing at the same time. It means table. But masa can also mean a party. It can mean dinner time. It can mean lunch time. It could mean, you know, let's have a discussion, a meeting. It has like everything is around the table mm-hmm. is a masa, right? And you have food like sarmale, which is delicious. It's like meat in, in rice stuffed cabbage or grape or um, grape leaves, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, very popular in Greek and like Southern confu- uh, uh, cuisine. But they have their own spin to it, right? They, the smaller they make them, the more proud they are because it's harder <laughs> to fold them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've made them before. Mine were very large and everyone <laughs> laughed at me and I'm like, they taste good. You know, that's the, that, that's the point. And they have like uh coltanache, which is basically like a ravioli with like cheese. Uh, Pelomeni is the same thing, but it has meat inside. Pelomeni is more Russian based. Coltanache is more Romanian. Um, you have, you have a uh, mamaliga, which is their national food, which is boiled cornmeal. Okay. Um, and you know, like polenta. Yeah exactly just more boiled it's not soft well that's that's interesting because the for most of sub-saharan africa the one of the staples is boiled cornmeal yeah and it's so funny that like this i would i would have thought if you said oh the staple of you know your country i thought it would be very different than than the country that i served in no no that i eat that once a week probably and the difference is what they ate it with. Yeah, what, yeah. what do they eat it with? So we would eat it with mostly with brinza, which is mm-hmm. um, cow milk, like basic cow cheese or goat or sheep cheese that is, that is made in like a jar with a brine. So mm-hmm. it's very similar how you make feta. Mm-hmm. but it, it just has you know it forms into like a ball and it, it can be the the milk from the cow is a little bit creamier so it's not as it's not as sharp and then if you go all the way to sheep it's really salty and really sharp so it, you have a variance in there everyone has their own preference i like a mixture of both or like like of cow and and sheep but i'm not a fan of goat for whatever reason mm-hmm. um and then you'd have boiled pork um that would be like basically they would take chunks of pork and boil it and then like saute it with other things or just straight up add it to the thing and you have you roll the mamaliga into a ball mm-hmm. and then put it into the pork put it into the cheese and then dip it in sour cream which they call smentina usually homemade and then you would take a bite that's usually how you do it but you don't always have to have a pork you could have you had a fried fish with mm-hmm. it you could have Pretty much any type of meat it could be served with it, but usually it's pork or fish. Mm-hmm. And the weather there, I mean, just looking at where it is, I'm guessing you experienced uh, some cold. Winters were cold. Yeah, definitely have snow. Yeah. Um, you have all four seasons. Okay. Moldova is very much based on the season and the activities. <clears throat> um, summertime is hot. You know, it's it's kind of like north the northeast of the U.S. where it's like extreme temperatures of everything where you have spring and it's very rainy. You have summer, it's hot. You have Mm. fall and it's like, you know, beautiful fall, a little bit crispy, you know, in the Mm. mornings. And 
then you have you know a nice winter with a blanket of snow and that's very moldova um the northern part of moldova and the southern part of moldova has fluctuations actually very much so because of the black sea um it, mm-hmm. the black sea comes in across like the the more moisture from the black sea comes into the south which protects it more and they have really good wine growing regions there they have a huge amount of vineyards and some of the best wine in moldova is actually produced in the bottom uh, east, the southeastern part of Moldova, which is the closest part to the Black Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a huge industry in Moldova, which is winemaking. And that it revolves around the season where basically the summertime is the growing season, the fall is the harvest, the winter is when you drink it a lot, you know, and there's a lot of parties or celebrations to keep the thing. And then spring is like a new and you celebrate, like today is the first of March mm-hmm. and it's March Ashur in Moldova, which is the first day of spring. And they celebrate it as an, it's like a holiday. And usually, I didn't bring one with me, I should have, but they give you like a little ribbon. Mm-hmm. And that represents March Shore, and it's like white and red. It has little tassels on it, and you put it on your clothing for the whole month of March. Oh. And it celebrates like, it's spring, even though it's not yet, but it, you know. <laughs> Even though it, it, it snowed this morning. Yes. Here it's, you know, in the U.S. we have the 21st, I believe, is the first day of spring and things mm-hmm. like that. Moldova, you know, it's like, no, the first of, of March. So, yeah. It's always interesting. Mm-hmm. And how did you use your, your free time? You're working this 40-hour work week, eating all this delicious food that I, you just told me about. Uh, what was the downtime uh, for you? Downtime for me, um, you know, it's fortunate in Moldova is that it's a very small country mm-hmm. and that you you can get to other volunteers pretty easily. So a lot of a lot of my downtime, not necessarily during the week, but on weekends, I would mostly spend with volunteers, um, whether it's collaborating on a project or just hanging out, experiencing cultural events or being able to see and experience their their life and how their host family is and, and what they do. So I was able to travel to like villages and see other volunteers or cities or do other things. And also my own friends that I made in Moldova, being able to visit them or their families. In the weekdays, a lot of it was, you know, in the summertime, it was a lot of activities. Mm-hmm. Wintertime, pretty much watch Netflix when it got cold and dark. <laughs> so uh, Moldova has a sixth, now probably seventh fastest internet in the world. Um, their whole entire network is built on fiber optics because they built it in like the early 2000s. There are a, a lot of return Peace Corps volunteers throwing you a lot of shade right now listening to this. I'm just going <laughs> to let you know. You're probably already aware of that, but continue. So to give you the best <laughs> example of how good the infrastructure of the internet is, is that in my PST village, I had no running water, had no heating. I got sick in my first month because of poor sanitary sanitation and things like that. But I had a hundred megabyte internet connection in my outhouse. That's what I have in my apartment here. Yeah. But I, my <laughs> host mom probably paid about $20 a month for it. Damn. Yeah. So okay. not, not super fast, not always reliable if there's a big windstorm, because mm-hmm. I've seen them run fiber optics from tree to tree before. <laughs> but it works. And it, it was very impressive. So that was very nice in terms of my service. So I could stream things. I could watch Netflix. I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I was also able to work on side projects, which was allowed me to like, you know, when I met with that honey producer, their name is Dolce Ply. Um, it allowed me in my free time in the evenings to like, hey, I can like work on coding or building the website and I have a good internet connection and things like that. And then I could like meet with them two weeks later to be like, hey, like, here's some changes, here's some updates. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I did it. I also love to cook. So a lot of my free time would be going to the market to the piazza or um, the bazaar. Which, which is you know russian or romanian and you would i would meet i'd make friends there and i would go and like talk to them like where do they get the produce from what is this and that and i would buy things and then i would try to make new dishes whether it's traditional dishes or american dishes or just something completely new so a lot of my my free time i would either like you know oh like watch a show and be like oh that looks really good mm-hmm. and then, like try to go make it and this is also going to I think a lot of RPCs out there are also going to like throw shade at this is that I had a really nice apartment. <laughs> um, I definitely lived in the more of the posh core things. Mm-hmm. Like I had the Peace Corps experience, right? I had PST. I had no running water, no nothing. And I loved it. Like I had like, <clears throat> I don't know if everyone agrees with this, 
but my PST was like some of the best time of my life. Because like all my job was is to live and learn a language and interact with people. I, th- I thought the same thing. So many volunteers say their favorite day of PSD was the last day. I actually heard that recently. I was like, PSD was awesome. I got to go to school every day, learn really cool stuff. And my only job was to like hang out and like just absorb culture. And eat food. Yeah. It yeah. was great. Yeah. I, I loved it. It was summertime in Moldova. Beautiful time of year. Mm-hmm. Like I could, I was, there was a summer bed in my, my host, uh, my host mother's house, like we had a porch and a little summer bed and like the sun would shine through the cherry trees and I'd like reach up and then grab some cherries off the tree and eat them and lay in the sun. It was amazing. I mean, I had an awesome group of volunteers. There was eight of us in the village mm-hmm. um, learning, learning the language and just really just hanging out and, and having a great time. And, you know, some of them to this day still keep in touch with, right? You know, going on five years later. Mm-hmm. So and they're all over the world now too so it's always fun to see what people are up to but yeah no that was that was my experience but like it was physically rough mentally amazing i didn't open my computer once it'd be unless actually to write out the description or what is that document we have to do in peace in pst that's like the oh yeah aspiration statement or something like Mm -hmm. that right and I wrote that out on my computer and, and did that. But I think that was the only thing I did. I didn't watch TV. I didn't do nothing. I didn't, in PST, I was out sitting on the at the table, uh, you know, talking with other volunteers or my host mom or like I lived in like a a place where are the backyards, like the garden areas were attached, but with like a little fence. Mm-hmm. So like another volunteer, his host family was like the other family and our host mothers were really good friends. So we would spend all our time together. Like I'd go to dinner at his house or like I would come here or he would come to mine. We would like do chores and do everything. And like they had a pig and like we would go and check and like feed the pig and ch- feed the chickens and like, and, you know, like that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was like my life for like two months. And I loved it. Like there's nothing wrong with it. And then I got placed in a, in a city in a town where I lived in an apartment and they didn't have that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when I moved out, there was only one or two options for me to be able to live. And I chose one that was, let's say, American standards. And it wasn't that expensive. I negotiated with the owner and be like, listen, I'm going to be very here for a year. If you give me a discount that meets the Peace Corps stipend, I'll pay you that guaranteed for a year. And he's like, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> he's, he's like guaranteed income. Mm-hmm. It's better than being empty. Yeah. Right. So that was how I was able to negotiate and get into that apartment that was, let's just say, beyond the normal standards. And I mean, to give you a small example, I had a bidet in my bathroom. These, it was like an Italian style mm-hmm. apartment. And my kitchen was very much, very much the same size as yours. So I, I don't know what your experience was like, but I feel like it was a little bit different. Yes, uh, without uh, without hijacking your episode and talking about my experience, yes, yes, very different. <laughs> but I know that uh, even though you are saying all these good things about your country, your experience, you you even stayed there longer. You now have a, a company that's partially based there. You did have struggles. I have to assume that there were difficulties in your service, what were some of those? Because I think you might have some volunteers listening. They're like, oh, man. Or maybe there are people who are interested in the Peace Corps, and they're like, whoa, I need to go to Eastern Europe or Moldova maybe even, because life there sounds easy. But I'm guessing it's not always easy. Yeah, definitely been the on the positive side lately uh, yeah. on the whole explanation. And that's very easy to do, especially when mm-hmm. you talk about your service. Um, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Moldova is probably one of the hardest countries to serve in, not physically, mentally. Mm-hmm. Mentally, it it destroys you. It is really, really hard to stay motivated. Uh, it's incredibly frustrating because you see you see so much potential, and then you just see it wasted, and it drives you insane. Like it's just like because of cultural differences, because of you know, lack of opportunity or advancement or people just leaving the country or corruption. Corruption is probably the biggest factor in all of those because it leads to those other things. All of those pieces have led to a lot of, like my experience um, 
in terms of all I've said, is probably unique amongst volunteers, even in Moldova. But every volunteer in Moldova has a lot of the same struggles, um, just from my observations and also talking to other people, and that it's incredibly hard to do things. And I know every Peace Corps volunteer probably struggles with this in a different way, but you start a club, right? Mm -hmm. I did like a computer club teaching them basics for computer. Uh, to old women, actually, uh, to so they could teach they teach them how to communicate with their their family abroad, mm-hmm. right? So they could actually use email and like Skype and things like that. They, we spent an hour having them remember the passwords every time we did it, right? So incredibly frustrating. Didn't really build upon, and then they would like not come sometimes, and mm-hmm. then they would like I would show up to a place and they'd be like, "Oh, today's a holiday," and I'm like, "Why didn't anyone tell me this last time?" And they're like, oh, we didn't think of it. And it's like, we thought you knew or things like that. And that was across the board work. I would show up to work. No one would be there. I'm like, where's everyone today? They're like, oh, we're not, we're not at work today. We're doing this. Or like, hey, can you give a presentation on this in like an hour? And I'm like, no, I can't because no one told me about this until right now. Right. So the, a lot of like little things, frustrations on that point of no one really communicating. Um, and then living in moldova you have people who think that like as an american for me specifically in my service mm-hmm. everyone thought i was a spy i don't know why i've asked a lot of questions why they thought i was a spy right off the bat yeah, have we ever had spies in moldova i mean i'm sure we have yeah for sure the, during the cold war yeah i'm at some point i'm sure america did i i I wouldn't say we had a lot because yeah. Moldova is not maybe in the sights of America very yeah. hard. But I think the there was a previous volunteer mm-hmm. that was that was in my sight. I don't know when, but he was there for like three months and then he just disappeared. <laughs> and he like would take notes or like walking around and you take notes and like basically what they thought is he came and like was like reporting on something and then just like disappeared. And what happened was he probably was a volunteer that was new and then he ET'd or yeah. he moved sites. And but they didn't know that because he didn't tell them that. So what happened was I inherited their assumptions that Peace Corps volunteers or something like that as a as a thing. So I spent two years combating them of like when I was doing like my VRF, right? Mm-hmm. And like and doing that type of stuff, people are like, Are you working on a report to the CIA? I'm like, I'm not I don't, why would the CIA care about Moldova? Yeah. And also, I don't work for the CIA. I'm working on my VRF for, for Peace Corps. So there was a lot of that frustration. And, and um, I think one of the biggest pieces of that is it, it actually took a year for me to have any sort of trust in the community. It wasn't an automatic trust. There was suspicion. There's a ton of frustration, a lot of communication errors, probably on my part, because I didn't know how to speak the language well enough. <laughs> but it took me a year. Mm-hmm. To really build up those relationships because there was no trust. And I think a lot of volunteers on, on our end, it, it was, it's incredibly frustrating because you want to do so many things in your first like six months. Like you're so motivated. Yeah. And then it's demoralizing because like you look back at your six months and you're like, I did nothing. Like that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. But, but I think that's untrue because you, your first six months from my perspective are about learning the language. It's about integration. It's about getting to know your community and who's in your community. So if you're if you're a volunteer listening to this right now and you're six months in or, or eight months and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life per se, or like that year mark that's so difficult to get mm-hmm. through, the second year, in my opinion, is where you make up for that because that's when you know people, you know the language better enough, you know you've been around the block one time to know what's upcoming, so you at least can be a little bit more prepared. Mm-hmm. And that is where you're going to be able to make those inroads and communicate to people and be able to have some projects that are successful. And for me, I never did a spa grant. I never did any PS or PCPP grant, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's how it goes. That's the acronym, maybe. All yeah. the acronyms. Yeah. Um. So I never did those. Mm-hmm. I actually just worked on projects. I worked with uh, Kiva with the grants uh, from or the the partnership with them. I I stayed focused on that. I worked a lot on like um, internal groups with Peace Corps. Like um, I was on the VAC or not VAC. I was on VIC, which the Volunteer Information Committee, oh, which we, we have in Moldova. We had we had an ICT. Okay, so yeah, yeah, similar. So we we actually had an inf- a resource sharing uh, platform for volunteers only mm-hmm. in our community, where we'd like not try to reinvent the wheel every yep. time, but like share resources. We tried and failed. Um, ours, I guess uh, it 
it got killed i guess by peace corps <laughs> recently which is very much a shame but mm-hmm. um it it's very hard to sustain year to year from peace corps but that had its own frustrations but overall um kind of wrapping up this one more long-winded answer than you probably wanted um no, i love long-winded answers <laughs> i can get talking but basically um my biggest frustration when it came to moldova was it always was this you're always pushed to do more right you're always mm-hmm. pushed like you should be in your community more and you should be able to integrate and do this and do that and i feel like there's so much pressure on a volunteer to do that right and i felt like I wasn't doing enough in my first year and then I stopped caring mm-hmm. in my second year and I felt like that made me a really good volunteer because that's when I stopped showing up to meetings and let people call me because then I like took control and I did things I wanted to do but they lined up very nicely with the Peace Corps mission what I was doing in my program I was working on projects all across the country I was able to help do these you know like small like computer classes with old women that can barely see the computer screen right and they haven't seen a computer or don't own a computer to this day but they can go to the library and access it right doing these type of projects which was very rewarding very fun and it just kind of took all that pressure all those expectations off my shoulders and i'm like i'm here to do things that i'm also passionate about as well and I think that just kind of took that frustration away of like there's no expectations everyone's volunteer service is different and I just made it my own. And, you know, it's not that it was rainbows and sunshine the entire time. And, like, not that I didn't want to ET at some points, especially in the wintertime when the heating system <laughs> failed and it's freezing. Um, but it made it that much more impactful for me because it aligned very closely with what I was, you know, what I saw as opportunities. And I just kind of went for them. And, frankly, my style was I would do something and ask for forgiveness later. So I wouldn't basically ask for permission from my pro- program manager. I would be like, oh, this looks like a good opportunity. I'm just going to do it. Mm-hmm. And then I report on my VRF. And everyone's like, oh, great. It looks awesome. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. But I feel like there would have been some hesitation there if I were to ask up front. So mm-hmm. I think that's that was able, I was able to transcend a lot of the frustration just because I focused on what was important and cut out the rest. Mm-hmm. And learning language was key. Meeting people is key doing all those things but if you don't take ownership of your service then you're probably going to have a lot more frustrations i think along the way than you need to Mm -hmm. well you've alluded to it uh, a few times but you have a a company that is based there that kind of was born during your your peace corps service so so what is that exactly yeah no that's great question so uh the company is called inspire and basically what what we do is where we call our slogan is a creative agency with a social impact and what we do is we provide websites or online marketing and strategies branding identity building um services for companies around the world and we employ local moldovans in the capital in Chisinau with high paying fair wage jobs where they can utilize their creative talents their development talents in a way that is not only fulfilling, but also challenging, where they're able to grow, they're able to learn, and they don't have to leave Moldova mm-hmm. to do that. And we're able to provide really high quality, awesome solutions for our clients at a very, you know, normal price point. And that idea was born out of uh, seeing the opportunity that I was saying earlier that was wasted, seeing mm-hmm. opportunity, the frustration from that, in that there's so many talented people in moldova super intelligent raw intelligence right a lot of people in moldova focus on the hard sciences right you know like the chemistry the physics like very gifted in that in that way and my my thinking was how do we how do we keep opportunity and build opportunity in moldova so at the end of my service um towards the end you know last six months you're always thinking what are you doing right what are we Mm -hmm. doing next everyone's asking you that question what are you gonna do it's Mm -hmm. like why did you ask everyone's asking this question let's stop but my was mine was pretty easy because i already had kind of figured it out was that oh i'm probably gonna stay in moldova and start a company these other questions right and at the time when i first started it it was very simple it was like i know how to build wordpress websites i can train people in moldova or find people in moldova who can do that let's deliver you know websites for companies that was the extent of the idea of the plan and it was born out of my service in that i had worked with others in moldova 
on websites, other organizations, companies, and things like that. And I thought we would have like 50% of our client base in Moldova and mm-hmm. 50% externally. And reality hits when you start the company and things like that. And we, I quickly realized Moldova was not really our market that we wanted to focus on because we were getting, I was getting a lot of pressure from the team that we wanted to deliver high quality solutions. But if you don't have the right budget, mm-hmm. you're cutting quality, right? At the end of the day, or you're just losing money. And our focus naturally led us to the US, led us to Western Europe to grow the team to a level where we're able to de- deliver more sophisticated and higher level services to these clients who who actually demand it, they need it. And that was a very, very nice balance where the team, where they're like, they feel challenged, they feel like they're adding and building things and doing good work. And then we're also be able to find the clients who are willing to pay for that. Mm-hmm. So that that right there is the core essence of what we do and how we're able to balance and have a really cool team. And I mean, some of my team are have are educated in America, are educated in the UK. They're they're all speak English perfectly. Like you're talking like they're an amazing, very smart team. I have very they have American humor. Like <laughs> they they watched American TV shows. Like I have chats with them and they're like, oh, you know, like they like throw out a joke and I'm like I like legitimately laugh. I'm like, dude, that is perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the team that I have. So it's like <clears throat> they're Moldovan, but they're super, they're very what I would call like America centric in the sense of like a lot of their interests aligned with very similar to how we would have a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they live and they want to stay in Moldova. Like they don't, they could live and work anywhere in the world almost with their skill set. Mm-hmm. They can make more money elsewhere, but they choose to stay in Moldova. And that is a huge, huge distinction where we're not trying to keep anyone in Moldova that doesn't want to be there. But we're trying to provide opportunities to people who want to be in Moldova, but also want to be fulfilled in their professional life at the same time. Very cool. And, and how long has this company been in existence? Uh, we're So it started out of, out of my service when I finished <clears throat> in 2016. So we're, we're coming up on, we're almost three years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I finished my service in the summer of 2016, so two and a half years. And we have a team of nine in Moldova right now, and then we have two uh, here in the U.S. And what we're, what we're looking at actually right now, we're actually recruiting in Moldova for, uh, for a high-level position. Um, so we're looking for a creative director there, uh, which will help us build up our, develop, our design team that mm-hmm. much more. So we're actively recruiting right now, um, and we're looking forward to continually growing the team as we can there. Very cool. Well, I've enjoyed talking with you, uh, learning a lot about your service, a ton about Moldova, uh, and then we we chatted a lot about your company before actually hitting the record button, uh, and probably talk a little bit more after I hit uh, stop on the record button, because I don't know how many people want to listen to a discussion about <laughs> Uh, web development and and company building Uh, but if you do you can uh, comment let me know and we can maybe do a a part two because i always love peace corps businesses absolutely love them Uh, but do you have any anything else that you want to say leave us with related to your your service your experience uh, something that you would be remiss if you if you didn't say yeah for sure i think the the biggest thing and i kind of alluded to this earlier with like my my story in how I did my Peace Corps service is make it your own, right? Everyone has such a vastly different experience. I mean, even within Moldova, within the volunteer group, the cohort I was in, everyone had a different experience. And one of the the biggest pieces for me, and I think the key to success is not comparing your service, but being able to find out what makes your service your service, Mm -hmm. right? What is that to you? And if that means sitting down and talking to a bunch of women while they make shea butter and explain having them explain the process to you and like you start doing it yourself that's amazing right because you're learning you're growing you're sharing culture if that means you're able to work with the government and help them you know increase their attractiveness to foreign investors or build websites or help train people or educate people in the language whatever that is embrace that and make it that your own because no one else has that story. No one else has that opportunity or sees that but you. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really powerful thing uh, to go forward. And you're able to make an impact. And like everyone says, you know, it only takes that one person. If you make an impact and change one person's life, then I believe the two years of service that we give is more than worth it. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Well, thank you for, for spending time with me. In closing the episode, do you have a favorite quote or local saying that you would like to share? Yeah, it's actually very appropriate for the time of the year since it is the beginning of spring. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a term in Moldova, and I don't want to go too much in detail on it, but it's called Baba Dokia. And Baba is a term for older women. You can, like a, a babushka in, Roman, in Russian is grandmother. Baba is kind of an older woman, but not really in a, a polite way. <laughs> and Baba Dokia is a, is a fairy tale. It's kind of like a, a folklore in Moldova where in the springtime when it's really you know beautiful outside they would be like vini babadokia which means basically they're always expecting it to snow <laughs> and that she's going to come back and like there's going to be snow and and all that so it always stuck with me especially since i lived in drokia when babadokia was very similar i don't know why that during the spring they wouldn't moldovans wouldn't change out of their heavy coats even though it was warm outside until a certain time period because then it was like Babadokia passed so Babadokia Babadokia perfect well thank you very much I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation thank you very much Tyler appreciate it and there you have it another episode of the my peace core story podcast thank you for listening now at the, the start of the show i did say how much i, I love doing these interviews in person uh, if you are listening to the show and i've been, done an interview with you and it's over skype do not for one second think that i did not absolutely love your interview i love each and every interview but as you know just being in person with someone makes so much difference uh, of just connecting with them. And, you know, the audio, oh, the audio is so much better. But I love every single interview that I do, and I appreciate the, you know, technology, Skype, that I'm able to, to Skype with people all over the United States, uh, people who are uh, across the world, uh, currently serving. Uh, that's absolutely amazing. So don't for one second think that if I don't have the chance to record with you in person that I do not absolutely value your Peace Corps story because I value each and every single one. Until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours?